Please listen carefully. Hey folks, welcome into another Heard It Here sports podcast episode. I'm your host, Cooper Hurd. Glad to have you guys joining me for whatever reason you got stuck listening to this. Um, but I'm doing a follow-up episode of the episode I dropped a few days ago, uh, going through players 1 through 10 on my first iteration of my 2023 NBA draft big board. Uh, to recap, uh, not a ton of surprises at the top, especially the top three I would consider pretty chalk, um, but I've got... Number one, Victor Wimbanyama in his own tier, uh, the number one <laughs> tier, which I think is pretty apt. Um, number two, I've got Scoot Henderson. Three, I've got Brandon Miller, Cam Whitmore at four, Keontae George at five, Kaysen Wallace at six, Jairus Walker at seven, Nick Smith at eight. Those seven are in their own tier. I've labeled the early lotto. Um, one guy I flagged in last podcast that I think is pretty likely to move up is Jairus Walker. He's a guy that, having watched him a little bit more recently, I, I do really like his game. Um, and I think he's... I've I've seen a couple of times people post, you know, oh, he's got such a high floor, he's a high floor. When you're talking about a six foot eight, really sound defensive guy with good touch, good dribble skills uh, as a high floor guy, that's a really good sign. Because that means that he's probably going to get a good amount of minutes early on. He's going to have a lot of room to grow and develop. Uh, and he's also clearly got, I was going to call him latent skills, but I don't know if I'd even call this like shooting and dribbling and stuff latent. I mean, it's stuff he's actively exercising. So Jairus is a guy I certainly think could move up uh, from that seven spot, which seven's already pretty high, but I've definitely heard people to have him in the three to five range, which I don't think is unreasonable. Um, you know, I don't think Jairus Walker over Brandon Miller is a crazy take right now. Um, but to close out the the top 10 from last podcast, um, number 9 and number 10 are the twins out of OTE Elite, uh, Amin and Osar Thompson. I don't want to get back into the same podcast, but those two I think are a pretty big surprise for a lot of people. Um, I just am not much of a believer in their shooting, not just three-point shooting, but free-throw shooting, touch uh you know, anything outside of being at the rim. Um, I'm just a little nervous about their touch. And I also am not as sold on the passing and the dribbling. Um, I think they are phenomenal athletes and I think they've got really good heads on their shoulders. So I think they will, you know, live up to a good amount of their potential, but I think their potential is just a little bit lower than other people, just in terms of, again, the shooting and I think some of the vision uh, and, you know, specifically the point guard skills uh, with Amen, uh, but even Osar I've heard talked about is, you know, maybe an, maybe more of an off ball or like a secondary playmaker. But I just I don't know if I see either of them as true uh, go to shot creators or more specifically, you know, distributors, facilitators. I don't see them as point guards in the slightest. I see them more as forwards than guards or, or wings than guards, whichever you want to classify them as. Um, but that's enough talking about stuff that's already happened. 
that was the top 10. Uh, this episode, I'm going to talk about the next group of 10. So uh, number 11 through 20 on my first iteration of my big board. Um, these guys are actually all in the same tier. They're in the same tier as Amin and Asar. I had this tier labeled as the top 20. Um, of course, I ended up going from players number 9 to t- players 21 uh, because I had to make myself look dumb by calling it the top 20. So it actually goes to 21. We'll be cutting it off at 20 today. Um, but I guess I can go ahead and talk about my number 11 player. I, after a little bit of deliberation, decided I probably want to discuss them alongside my number 12 player. Uh, I think these guys have been discussed together in a lot of contexts. Two of the best shooters in the class, maybe the two best shooters in the class. Um, specifically, you're talking about freshmen. Specifically, you're talking about guys that are over 6'6". Uh, Jet Howard and Grady Dick. Um, Jet Howard's probably about 6'8". Grady Dick's maybe 6'8", 6'7". These, these guys are about the same height. They're both uh, 19-year-old freshmen playing for so jet howard's playing for michigan grady dick is playing for kansas um they're both playing for good teams i would certainly consider kansas more of a professional team uh, or more of a i don't know a, a senior heavy team one that you would have to fit into more as an offensive player um although you know michigan obviously having um hunter dickinson is a pretty important thing that you have to fit around. But I think Jet Howard maybe has a little bit more freedom as an offensive player. Um, But to talk about some of the specifics with their games. So both are phenomenal three-point shooters. Both I have seen some good things with them off the dribble. A little bit more for Jet Howard. I think Grady Dick is maybe a little bit more limited with his um, on-ball juice. Um, I think Jet Howard is a guy that can probably get in some some, some, uh, mid-range pull-ups get to the rim with some pretty nice moves. Um, I think he'll probably develop a pretty good floater game as well. Uh, Grady Dick, I see, is somebody who is going to be, have to be a little bit more well-rounded two-way. Um, and I actually do see Grady Dick as somebody that can be more of a defender than Jet Howard. I think Jet Howard has, certainly as a 6'7 or 6'8 guard, I think he's going to have the size to defend somebody uh Potentially, you know, at, at the two-guard position, I think is probably where he, he and uh, Dick will end up. Um, he's not necessarily the strongest guy in the world, but I don't, you know, I think that's something that most players are going to improve on. That's just something that you improve on as your body grows. Um, I don't know that he has very good instincts, or I've actually been a little bit, I don't want to say concerned, but it, it's been a little bit worrying that I've heard multiple people on podcasts talking about how um, I think the discussion around Jet Howard is he's maybe just, I, I don't even know if it's the discussion, but the vibe that people are picking up, which is very unscientific. It could be nothing. I mean, Jet, Jet Howard plays hard. He seems like a good guy. Like, I don't doubt any of that. But it does seem like he may favor himself as an offensive player. He may be a little bit along, um, I believe Jabari Parker had a quote a few years ago, which doesn't look as great in retrospect, but I don't get, I don't get paid to play defense. I don't think Jet Howard's going to get paid to play defense. Uh, and I think he is astutely aware of that and focuses most of his effort into the offensive end. Um, whereas Grady Dick, I think, puts more effort into defense. Uh, there was a clip that came out, I believe it was PD Webb on Twitter, that uh, put out a really nice compilation of some of Grady Dick's 
defensive plays, you know, just getting his hands in passing lanes, uh, poking balls away on ball, etc. Um, he's definitely someone that can get burnt on ball, but I think a guy that is putting in effort uh, as a help defender and is six foot eight and pretty athletic. Like I think he will be, you know, between the 25th and 50th percentile um, of athleticism for shooting guards in the NBA. Like he's not going to be a bottom 10% athlete. He's going to be a slightly below average to maybe at some point he'll be average. Uh, Jet Howard, I think is going to be probably an average athlete as well. I think he's got some bounce on the offensive end that you'll see in terms of like, I mean, he certainly gets off the ground with his jump shot. And um, I, I think he's maybe, so I guess I can go a little bit into the comp I've got for him, which feels like a bit of a lazy comparison, but a guy that he brings to mind, probably part of it's just that, you know, he's a shooting guard that is at Michigan, uh, Jordan Poole. Um, Jordan Poole, obviously, is a couple inches shorter. Jet Howard's got some height on him. And Jordan Poole was not nearly the player that Jet Howard was in college. Uh, I think Jordan Poole played two years as well. So Jet Howard is already much more well-established. But I do think that Jet Howard, like Jordan Poole, is maybe being a little bit underrated as a dribbler. Um, I think, again, this is one of those skills that if you listen to the first podcast, I've really... As somebody that is not as well-versed in what makes a great basketball player, you know, I'm not going to be as good at scouting guys as people have been doing this for 20 or 30 years. So I'm trying to simplify this for myself a little bit. Um, one of the things I've found that feels helpful right, for right now is categorizing players' skill sets into four main skills, three offensive and then defense. So your shooting baseline, your dribbling baseline, your passing baseline, and then your defensive baseline. Um I think Jet Howard's dribbling baseline is much higher than most people see it as. I think there's a good chance that he's going to be a guy that is comfortable dribbling the ball against NBA defenders and creating shots off the dribble against NBA defenders. I don't think he's going to be like DeMar DeRozan in the mid-range or anything. Don't get me wrong. Um, But I think he's going to have some ability, like Jordan Poole, to use the threat of his three-point game to drive, um, you know, off of – catch and shoot opportunities just drive it instead i think he's gonna have that sort of ability you know grady dick i'm a little less confident in that um i think grady dick's a little bulkier i think he's somebody that's probably going to end up being a little i think jet howard's going to lean more towards the guard side of things in terms of being a little bit skinnier but faster whereas grady dick is going to be a little bit more in the wing slash would say maybe forward i think wing you know i try to define guys as guard slash or guard wing forward center so i think grady dick's more of a wing but um a little bit bulkier than jet howard a little bit slower than jet howard but you know i I think i'm a little more confident in grady dick being able to guard twos and maybe even threes uh jet howard i think is gonna have to learn how to get over screens and learn how to guard twos and maybe even ones. I don't know that he's going to be a guy that's guarding forwards, uh, even small forwards. Uh, you know, maybe if it's like Contavious Caldwell Pope playing the three, he can guard him, but like a real small forward, like obviously LeBron James is not really going to be that much of a threat for the rest of Jet Howard's career. But, you know, a guy like that, like Kevin Durant's going to destroy Jet Howard, right? Uh, Grady Dick, I think <laughs> Kevin Durant's going to destroy Grady Dick. Don't get me wrong, but I think he's going to have more of a chance of holding up in the long term um, with more physical guys. Um, let's see, 
One other thing I guess I'd like to mention, uh, I did have a couple of guys that Grady Dick brought to mind for me. One was Max Struess. Uh, Max Struess is a guy, I, I feel like he was an apt comparison because Struess is probably, well, I guess the thing is I didn't really watch, sorry, I didn't watch him ever in college. He's not a guy that I was familiar with until he made it to the pros. I wasn't really following the draft the last couple of years. Um, but he is probably a better athlete than Grady Dick is going to be. I mean, Max Drews is like a good athlete. You know, he's probably an average, maybe even like the 60th percentile um, of shooting guards. He, you know, there's a reason he's taken Duck Robinson's position. Um, I think he holds up on defense, which is why I would like for Grady Dick to end up more in that role. I think if Grady Dick ends up as Duncan Robinson, that's going to be a disappointment. If he ends up as Max Struess, that's going to be a win. Um, which is funny because I'm sure if Grady Dick ended up with Duncan Robinson's contract, he'd be happy. But, you know, ideally we'd like to see guys make money and be successful. So I think that's about enough on those two guys. Uh, the thing I'll close with, um, confidence meter. I ended up, I, I ended up with Jet Howard at a five and Grady Dick at a six. I actually moved Jet Howard up a point and Grady Dick down a point as I was thinking about this, just because a little less confident in Grady Dick's defense. Um, given that I think he's going to have to be a better defender. Um, and I'm a little bit more confident in Jet Howard's handling and shot creation. So I, I, I felt like, you know, in retrospect, I was a little more confident in Jet and a little less confident in Grady Dick. But let's let's move on. Uh, I'm spending too much time with these guys already. So, so let me go ahead and talk about my 13th ranked player. Uh, that is Anthony Black out of Arkansas. Um, originally out of Texas, played at Duncanville High. So he's not one of those guys, you know, like Jet Howard and Grady Dick played at IMG and Sunrise Christian Academy, respectively. Those are pretty big-time basketball factories. Um, I believe Duncanville is actually more of a football school. I mean, it's a, it's probably like one of those massive schools in Texas, so I'm sure they have a, a storied basketball program as well. But um, not somebody like, say, Cade Cunningham, who ended up moving to Montverde for his junior senior year. You know, he played out uh, his high school days in Duncanville. He was the 17th overall recruit, so ranking him at 13. He's he's I would say he's played above what most people have expected. Uh, I just happen to have, I think, Grady Dick, Jet Howard above him right now because Anthony Black could certainly be a, a lower end top 10 pick. Like, I think he's uh, exceeded expectations. Uh, plus, you know, you have to think about with all these recruiting rankings is that 17th ranking doesn't include Wimbin Yama, Scoot Henderson, or the Thompson Twins. Uh, they are not ranked in these high school recruiting rankings, which is unfortunate. Um, but that, you know, Anthony Black has had a very good season, specifically or I was going to say especially without having Nick Smith alongside him, but that's probably something you could have a 30-minute discussion on is has Anthony Black actually had more success not having to share the uh, lead guard responsibilities with Nick Smith because Nick Smith is absolutely a point guard. He would have taken probably at least half, I, I would suspect more than half of the point guard um, reps you know, just because Anthony Black is bigger and can probably succeed more off ball. I also think Nick Smith is, I would guess, a better shooter. I mean, I've only seen a little bit of him from high school tape, um, you know, and he had like the one game um, that was relevant in Arkansas this year. But I, I, I guess getting a little bit too much into Nick Smith, this is Anthony Black's 
section. Um, Anthony Black is a super interesting player as like a 6'7", maybe even a 6'8 point guard. I might think he's 6'8 because uh, the hair just inflates him by a couple inches. But he's actually, you know, a later birth date. So he just turned 19 a couple of weeks ago, uh, January 20, uh, 2004 birth date. Um, I would say his main skill is that, again, he's a big point guard. He is a legitimate point guard. Um, I don't think he will be a full-time point guard in the NBA. Uh, I think more than likely he's going to have to learn to shoot and play off ball. Um, but I do think it's very exciting to, because we, I think we've talked about how guys that are, you know, more like six, three to six, five, but aren't point guards. Um, they have sort of been able to find a spot alongside these guys like Luca or, uh, I would say Jokic is actually a better example um, where guys like, I guess, Jamal Murray is the main one. Not, not a great example because these guys are guys with point guard skills. But I guess what I'm trying to say is there's this uh, new wave of guys that are small but not point guards because they can play complementary roles with big point guards. Uh, Anthony Black is that big point guard, but I think he's going to be more of a complementary guy, which is interesting because um, – where does that leave you, right? It, you know, if you're going to be a complimentary guy, you kind of need to be able to shoot. That's obviously the biggest question with Anthony Black. Uh, he is a guy with touch. I, I have to give him credit for that. I think he's going to make some shots. Um, he's just never been the most consistent three-point shooter in the world. I don't think he's going to become a super consistent three-point shooter. Um, I think more than likely he'll be, you know, a middling attempts, 35%. Like, He'll probably do enough to survive. And I, I do think he's a pretty fearless player, so he will take his three-point attempts. But, I mean, you have to, at a certain point, look at the stats and say, okay, he's made 20 three-pointers this year on 62 attempts. Like, he shoots 32%. That honestly seems high. Um, shoots 70% from the line. So, it's again, it's not like he doesn't have touch, but I don't think he's going to be an average to above average three-point shooter. You know, I think even average would be great for a player like him. Uh, if he was an average three-point shooter, as well as being, you know, a legitimate six, seven point guard, um, you know, that's a guaranteed top 10 pick. But I think his, his questionable shooting is what holds him down a little bit. I will also say I'm not a huge believer in his defense compared to some people. I think some people have, have identified him as a really good defender. Um, I think he has, good defensive tools. I think I've been impressed at how he as a again a 6 foot 7 or so player is able to defend guards. He will get over screens. He's aggressive trying to guard guys on the perimeter. But there I think are times where he gets a little out of control or is trying to race to recover where I'm watching and I'm like that's just not really a fundamentally sound play. This is he I think Part of the beauty of Anthony Black is that he is a wonderful improviser and a great basketball mind who I think really relies on his instincts on the offensive end. I think he's a phenomenal dribbler and passer for his size, which that's two of the three offensive check marks checked for me. Um, I just am not 100% sure how... So I guess... There's two ways this can go, right? I think he lacks defensive focus right now because he's so focused on the offensive end, and that is 
sort of what he prefers is playing offense. Offense is way more fun. It just kind of is. Um, there's two routes for him, right? Number one, he goes to the NBA and he has a more limited offensive role and it just gets into his head and he's less confident and he's less engaged and less focused. And his defense is even more disjointed and it, it, you know, you have to become a better defender to be able to defend in the NBA. And, you know, if he stagnates or even gets worse, that's, it's going to be a disaster. That's path one. That's the bad path. Path two, I think, is what I would bet on with him and his personality, which seems to be somebody that really likes basketball and really likes playing and winning basketball games, which is a very important factor to being good as a professional basketball player. Because um, so I think he's going to come in and have a much smaller complementary offensive role. And what he's going to do is he's going to focus on defense. He's going to start working his tail off. Uh, and I think he's going to get really good on the defensive end. Um, I don't know if he'll ever be like a super great 100% of the plays he's focused and engaged. I think he's going to end up being like a gambler on defense. Somebody that tries to like get in passing lanes, tries to create some of those pick six turnovers. Um, that's fine. Like maybe more like a Dylan Brooks type where like you throw him on someone on defense and he just kind of goes crazy and tries to get in their head and pokes the ball away a couple times and then gambles a couple times and gets dunked on. But like, it's okay. Cause that's just kind of who he is. I could see Anthony black as a Dylan Brooks type of player on defense, um, which I think there's a lot of value to that. I think there's also uh, <laughs> some amount of questionable, behavior that you know i think if you're in a final series specifically with a guy like dylan brooks you know because that's something we might see in the next couple of years i'd be interested to see if that costs you um and if if you actually would rather have a more disciplined defender in his place um but you know anthony black i think has a good path to turning into to a good defender like i can see how the story writes itself into that direction um i don't think he's that great a defender right now though and I think that's worth noting because he already doesn't check one of the checkboxes in terms of his shooting. Um, you know, in terms of the scores, I've got his dribblings at a 10 and his passings at a nine. Like he's phenomenal at both of those things for being a six, seven guy with and a six, seven, not a skinny six, seven guy, a six, seven guy uh, with a decent frame on him. Uh, but I've got his shooting at a three and his defense at a four. Um, I might even put his defense more at like a five, just because I'm a believer that he can learn the defense uh, and I think he's, you know, high basketball IQ. Uh, the shooting, though, I think three is maybe even optimistic. Um, I don't know. I mean, the free throw numbers, again, he's taken like 110 free throws this year, 70%. is like, that's solid. Um, he's 45% on his two, or is that overall from field? Yeah, he's 45% overall from field goals having uh, missed 42 threes out of 62. So I, I don't know. He's he's got good touch. He's one that definitely confuses me. So I've got his confidence meter at a three right now. Uh compared again to Jet Howard and Grady Dick, who are a five and six. Like Anthony Black is somebody that I could see wanting to take him over. I have Nick Smith at number eight. Nick Smith hasn't shown anything. I mean, you have to go again, you have to go back and look at his high school tape if you really want to take this seriously, but uh, which I haven't done as much of, but I, I think there's a chance that Anthony Black could go eight and Nick Smith could go, you know, nine or 12 or 17 or whatever. 
Um, I also think Anthony Black could go like 20th overall if he's just, I, I don't know. I guess now that I think about it, it'd be tough for Anthony Black to go that low. He's probably got a pretty solid floor of uh, 15, 16, right? I mean, you know, there's guys I haven't talked about yet that could definitely go over him, but I think there's guys that I have talked about, you know, specifically Nick Smith, Jet Howard, Grady Dick. You could probably even go over like Case and Wallace, and I wouldn't be stunned. So I think he's got some mobility in both directions. He's just a really um, – he's not as much of an archetypal player as these other guys, right? And actually, I should mention, because I, you know, worked on this little defining skill thing, and he was the only one that I classified as big ball handler. I just wasn't really sure what else to do with him. Uh, I had this big shooter with skill category that I'd use for, for some guys. Uh, that's actually what I use for both Grady Dick and Jet Howard is big shooter with skill. Um, you know, I've got like shot creation. I've got three and D. Just none of those things really apply to Anthony Black, right? I mean, he's not really a shot creator. He's not really an offensive hub. That would honestly maybe be the closest definition I would have. It's just that I don't think he's going to be an offensive hub in the NBA. Um, though maybe that's his role is more of like a like a six man offensive hub or I, I don't know. He's a very confusing prospect if you can't tell. Um, three is probably optimistic for his his confidence score and for brings to mind. I mean, I had Lamelo and Cade Cunningham. Like those are two big ball handlers. They are more again shot creators. Than Anthony Black, um, but I, I mean, I see that Anthony Black scores twelve and a half a game. It's not like he doesn't shoot. I'm just not really sure what to make of him. If you can't tell, um, he's big. He's got really good dribbling and passing skills, but his shooting and his defense are slightly questionable. Um, I, I'm just, you know, I'd love to see, I'd love to see him play with Nick Smith for ten to twelve games because then you get a really good sample size of two different. Um, context for him, which I mean, that just increases your visibility of what he can do. I, I just think that'd be really, really interesting. So, enough rambling about Anthony Black. I clearly don't know enough to really be definitive about him, um, but that's you know that's part of the process trying to learn about these guys. Uh, so I'll move on to my number fourteen guy. I can try to spend a little bit less time on him, although he is, I think, going to be a little bit surprising to most people. I think this is higher than most people have him. Uh, but number 14 on my big board is Ryan, uh, sorry, Ryan Rupert, um, a French player out, uh, currently playing out uh, in the NBL, playing for the New Zealand Breakers. So in contrast to Anthony Black, Ryan Rupert is not someone I'm particularly confused about. Um, he is a 6'6-ish wing, um, again, coming out of France. Uh, he's only... He's still 18. Uh, he'll turn 19 at the end of May. Uh, so he's. I think he's the youngest player in this class outside of Gigi Jackson. Um, that might be wrong. He's certainly one of the youngest uh, in his class. Again, one of these guys not ranked in the recruiting ranking because he's playing overseas and has continued to play overseas. Um, but I think him going 14 is probably... That, that's as high as I think I'm going to have him. I don't think I could see him going any higher, but he's pretty much a lock for my top 20 at this point. Um, he is a guy, I honestly, I don't feel like there's a ton. Um, there's just not a ton I question with his game. You know, I, I was very impressed with, I hadn't, I, I've watched maybe a little bit of NBL back when like LaMelo and RJ Hampton were playing. 
because uh, that 2020 draft was one that I was pretty into. But the NBL is a pretty impressive league. Like those guys are all fast and athletic, and it's it seems like everybody can defend. And they want everybody to be able to, if you're not a big guy and you're not playing on the interior, you need to be able to drive from the perimeter. Um, and ideally, you need to be able to shoot from the perimeter as well, which it, it's, it seems, I imagine, I haven't really watched much Europe basketball at all. Um, I've honestly probably watched more NBL than I have Europe um, outside of like Eurobasket and Olympics and stuff. Um, but what I've noticed with, Ryan repair in this context is I think in this. So I guess what I was going to say with the NBL is that it's sort of superstar agnostic and same thing with Europe, right? Um, you don't have 40% usage type of guys. It's very much, we have multiple offensive guys who are going to pass around the offense and someone's going to drive and they're going to try to create an advantage. And then they're either going to score off that advantage or they're going to pass it to someone else. That person's going to capitalize on that advantage and either score or pass it to someone else who's going to then capitalize on that advantage, and it's and so on and so on. And I think Ryan Repair actually fits exceptionally well into that model uh, because I think he's somebody that is a good dribbler and a good passer with a passable jump shot. Um, as far as so, I'll, I'll just go ahead and tell you the the skills that I have him rated for the shooting. I have at a four. Um, the shooting, I think, is in development. I actually listened to uh, one of the No Ceilings podcasts that came out last week, uh, or maybe it was this past week. Um, they mentioned that, I guess, Ryan Repair was not really a shooter at all as of like a year ago, um, and that this shooting in the NBL is, is a pretty new development. Um, I can't say I'm stunned by that. I, I'm, I'm surprised that he was a non-shooter as of one year ago. His jump shot's definitely pretty mechanical. It's not very fast. Um, but I also think he's got, uh, you know, I didn't see a ton of baskets of his because he doesn't play a ton of minutes. And when he does play, he doesn't shoot a lot, especially compared to a lot of these guys. Um, but he seems to have pretty good touch inside. Um, and I'm very impressed with how he does not get sped up at all on offense. Um, he's very good at just sort of filling in the correct areas off the ball. He's always, you know, he, he always seems to be aware of where the ball is on offense and has his hands up, you know, no one ever throws it to him while he's off guard. Um, I have his dribbling rated at a seven and his passing at a six. I think he's a good dribbler for, especially someone that's six, six or six, seven. And, Reportedly has a wingspan that is over seven foot. I've heard it's seven three. I've heard seven four. Um, you can see he's got long arms, but he dribbles quite well for a guy with that type of length. Um, yeah, I think he's going to be a very good transition player. You know, in terms of he can play on or off the ball in transition. I think in the half court, again, it's a classic thing. Everyone says it. It's really all dependent on the shot, but I do think that he. Assuming that he's going to be a average to slightly below average three-point jump shooter, I think that he'll have enough driving and finishing ability, and I think he'll get like some floaters and some finishes, um, you know, within ten feet, but not in the restricted area, uh, because I think he's got a good dribble. I think he's got good instincts, and I just think he's going to be able to get shots off. I think kind of like Jet Howard, he's got a little bit more dribble and wiggle to his game that um 
it's more about catching it in a potential shooting opportunity, you know, getting in that triple threat stance or sorry, as opposed to being in triple threat stance where you're just standing there, sizing them up, sitting there for five seconds, do the James Harden, right? Just line them up. I think Ryan Rupert and Jet Howard are going to be very good catching the ball in an advantage situation and either shooting over somebody or driving into one of their shooting spots, trying to drive straight to the rim, trying to drive and kick, etc. Um, I also think Ryan Rupert seems like he's pretty good at making decisions on the fly, which that is a big part of being a dribbler. You know, I think Jet Howard's the same way. Um, if you are not somebody that can make passes in traffic, if you cannot dribble effectively in traffic, and like, you know, if you're someone that's going to just pick up your dribble and kind of freak out when you're driving, like that's a really bad sign. Uh, I think, I think Rupert and again, Jet Howard, I feel like is actually. Not a terrible comparison. Um, obviously, Jet is a way better shooter, um, but Rupert is certainly better on defense. Um, and I actually maybe trust his passing a little bit more. Um, but I think Rupert is going to have a, a good opportunity to get some minutes pretty early on. It's just somebody that is confident. I think he's going to be shooting well enough. I think he'll be able to drive off the catch. and you know He'll finish. He'll dunk it in the open court if you give it to him he'll play solid defense i think in contrast to to somebody like or say the thompson twins who are playing in ote i think the ramp up from the nbl is actually not going to be very bad um because i think offensively he's going to have the same role if not even slightly more limited and i think on defense he's already playing in a pretty intense defensive scheme um the biggest thing will be if he gets matched up against a superstar, you know, if he gets matched against, against Devin Booker or John Morant, or on the bigger end, if he's against like a KD, um, LeBron, is he going to be able to hold up in ISO matchups against superstars? Pro- probably not. <laughs> Most guys can't really hold up against superstars in ISO matchups. That's what makes them superstars um, and why superstars do ISO, take ISO possessions. Um, but I, I do think that repair is going to be able to hold up against most players. I think he's gonna be good in, uh, help defense. You know, I think he's going to be a good overall team defender. I don't think he'll be a weak link on offense or defense. So I think he's just going to get some minutes early on. Um, and if you're a guy that's six, six with a seven, three wingspan and has good dribbling skills and passing skills and defense, and you seem like you kind of understand what's going on in the game. Like, I think you've got a good chance to play well early on and continue to develop. Because, again, it's sort of like I was talking about with Jairus Walker. Um, Jairus Walker is certainly um, a a better example of this. But I think Ryan Rupert is a good example of someone who's got, like, a good solid floor. But some of the beauty of having a solid floor is that you get minutes early on in your first few seasons and you actually get reps and you actually develop on the court. Um, and that's the best way to actually grow and develop and reach your quote-unquote ceiling. You know, the best ceiling guys are the guys that get minutes. Like Giannis probably wouldn't be Giannis if he didn't get minutes for the first four seasons that he played. He'd probably still be pretty good. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, the, the, there's there's a big reason that um, tanking teams play their guys big minutes, right? There's, there's a reason that we always talk about how reps are reps are key. Um, but that's probably enough on Ron Rupert. Um, the guy that he brings to mind for me, I actually was pretty proud of this one. I had Josh Hart as a guy 
Um, again, Josh Hart just always knows where he is, where he's supposed to be on offense, where he's supposed to be on defense. You know, makes solid plays. They put him at like the shooting guard position or the power forward position. You know, obviously the small forward as well. Like he's just kind of plays all over the place. He's just always solid. Like he's never like too bad to be in a lineup. You know, he can always be your fourth or fifth guy and your lineup's always going to be better for it or generally going to be better for it. So, you know, I've got my confidence meters at a six. You know, I've got his defining skills, off guard skills. I think I think the Josh Hart comparison that makes sense. You know, the other guy I've got in the um, lottery that had that same sort of off guard skills uh, classification was Casey Wallace. Uh, I think that's a relatively decent guy to look at in this class to compare it to. Uh, Case and I trust way more as a shooter uh, and more on defense as well. But you know, I think repair can kind of fit into that category. So. You know, I'm a big repair fan. Um, I definitely think people are going to start to have him. I think he should be a lock for the top 20. Um, and, and there's definitely a chance he goes in the late lottery, 10 to 14. So, yeah, enough about repair. So, number 15, I've got Jaquavion Smith, uh, point guard coming out of NC State. I think that he's a guy, you know, I've got his confidence rating at a five. I feel like I've got a decent grasp on what his game is. It's more just a matter of, um, how valuable that is compared to other guys in this class. I think he's going to be somebody that finding the right team to draft him to is very important. Um, Turquavion is probably, I would say, a top five shooter in this class uh, in terms of just his shot-making ability on the perimeter. Uh, he currently takes 8.5 three-point attempts per game. He makes three a game, so he shoots 35%. You know, he's not shooting at super high clip, but it's kind of reminiscent of uh, some of Devin Booker's developmental years with the Suns where he was shooting close to like 32, 33%, but it was because he was taking a lot of difficult three-point attempts. That's what Traquavion does. He's a guy that creates his own three-point shot off the dribble, you know, generally perimeter shooting, but, you know, like I, like I said, he shoots 8.5 three-pointers. He shoots 16 field goal attempts overall. So, you know, he gets in, you know, not – not always getting in the paint, you know, more like a pull-up mid-range type of guy, but, you know, he, he, he likes his jump shot and for good reason. Um, he is very good at it. You know, he's scoring 19 points a game. Um, as far as the sort of baseline skill, whatever metrics I've been trying to estimate for these guys, um, Terquavion's a great shooter. I've got his shooting at a 9. You know, I, I'm not putting him quite at a 10 like I did with Jet Howard and Grady Dick. Um, I have some questions about, you know, is this a guy that is just so used to shooting off the dribble and off of his own, like creating his own rhythm shots? Is it is he somebody that's going to be able to consistently shoot when his shot diet is just more catch and shoot threes and the occasional pull up shot? Um, he shoots seventy percent from the line over the course of his career, which is kind of crazy for a guy that's you know supposed to be a top five shooter in his class. You know, yeah, I mean. So he's he shot a total of 200 free throws and he's missed 60 out of 200. I mean, that seems like a lot for a guy that's supposed to be this phenomenal shooter. Um, but, you know, that's that's I don't know if I would quite call that a red flag. It's sort of like a orangish yellowish flag. Um, I, maybe that's something to point to to be like, oh, yeah, I should have noticed that uh, if he doesn't work out. Um, but I, th I think he's a really good shooter uh, and I think he's a good dribbler as well. He got his dribbling at a seven. Um, as a guy that's you know going to be sort of a point guard size creator, um, I think he's a good dribbler. I think he's you know again I think he's really good at creating his own shot on the perimeter. 
Um, but where he sort of struggles is I think he's not – I don't think he's going to be like an every down point guard in terms of like running pick and roll for you all the time, being your main distributor, offensive hub. So he averages 4.3 assists this year, but I don't – you know, that's fine. I think he's like a good, solid – guard shot creator that can get other people involved at times. Um, But I think it's closer to like a, I'm going to shoot on this possession or I'm going to pass on this possession, like a, like a deliberate choice beforehand, as opposed to true um, improvisation of passing versus shooting. Um, You know, he's got some of that, but I think his improvisation is, is more shoot more suited to shooting or shot creation. Um, I think he's going to be, a, I, I think, again, I think he's, his, his real role is going to be more as a shot creator than as a true point guard. Um, and I don't think his defense, you know, again, even as a point guard size shot creator, I think his defense is a little bit lacking. Um, Cause I do think you want to be able to play some level of defense and I will give him credit for, he averages uh, 1.7 steals per game this year and actually averaged over the course of his career, half a block a game. So you know, 55 games, he's averaging like, or he's got, you know, 28 or so blocks over the course of his career. That's that's not bad for a 6'4", really skinny guard. Um, but I just don't know if he has a ton of focus on that end. And, you know, he's, he's quick and agile enough that maybe he will turn himself into a good defender. Um, but I would certainly say, I don't think it's going to be very controversial at this point to say he's not like an above average defender uh, at the guard position. So... You know, I, I like Turquavion overall, though. Again, I've got him 15th overall as a point guard size shot creator. Like, that's, I think, pretty optimistic at this point. Um, I could certainly see him ending up more like 20, maybe even, you know, the high 20s, you know, 22, 23. Uh, but for now, you know, I think he's just, I'm very confident that he's going to be a professional scorer. Um, and if he was 6'1 instead of 6'4, I think he would be probably going undrafted, which is always a little scary to say, but you know, it's not like he's gonna shrink. So 6'4 is something you can bet on. Um I think something that's pretty relevant, and this is one I was kind of proud of as well. Um, I think someone that he brings to mind for me, and, and again, I've I, I've tried to be pretty deliberate of I don't want to be comparing guys to Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James and Jimmy Butler, um, the top, you know, John Morant, Zion Williams. And I want to compare them to guys that are more of their peers, um, especially in terms of the prospect evaluation process, which is tough because I don't necessarily have an extensive database of like, what was this guy thought of as a prospect? Um, but what I, I did do for some of these was try to look through some of the, you know, last five to seven drafts. Um, and one guy that popped out as a good comparison for Twi- ter- uh, for Turquavion was Trey Mann. I think these are both guys that, you know, they're like 6'4". Trey Mann might even be like 6'5". Probably like 6'3", 6'4", I think. Um, good dribblers. Very good shooters on the perimeter that like creating their own shot. Um, you know, smooth looking jump shots. I don't know. Again, I don't, Trey Mann's never going to be like your point guard, right? He's not, um, going to be your every down pick and roll point guard. He's also just not a guy that you want defending, uh, the starting point guard in the other team for 30 to 35 minutes. I think Turk Quavion's probably the same way, unfortunately. 
Um, you know, they're shot creators. That's what they are. Um, and unless unless you're Anthony Simon, unless you are Anthony Simon's level of good, you're probably just not gonna start that often. And, and even him, right? Like, think about Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole isn't always starting on the Warriors. Um, that's a pretty extreme example. I think if you end up at that level, you're probably gonna be starting in most contexts. But that's sort of the the goal for Dirk Wavion, right? Is ideally he gets in more of the Jordan Poole path and, you know, maybe Trey Mann's on that path as well. But I, I see them as maybe, uh, I, I think Turk Wavian's probably about that level of athleticism, but, you know, he's just not that much of a passer. Um, and yeah, I don't know. What is the differentiator between Jordan Poole and Turk Wavian? Probably the getting to the rim. I think Jordan Poole's got a little more burst in that way. Um, and Jordan Poole's also just made some incredibly difficult shots. So, you know, if Turquavion makes his shots, hey, and I've got him at 15 overall. I believe in him. Maybe he will end up being more in that Jordan Poole range. But, you know, that's tough for any player to score at that high of a level on those difficult shots. So that's probably enough about Turquavion. Uh, I'll move on to my number 16 guy who I've also got rated as a shot creator. Um Pretty different style of play, though, uh, and that is Bryce Sensabaugh. So Bryce is currently 16 on my board. Um, he is another one of these freshmen. He actually came in as the 65th ranked freshman. Uh, so, you know, not a five-star recruit, not somebody that was – actually not somebody that was even starting to begin the season for Ohio State, and this is not a particularly uh, excellent Ohio State team. Um he, you know, he's he's only started 13 of their 22 games. He's, you know, obviously established himself as the best player on their team at this point. So um, it's a little different. But he is just, again, I had said it with Terquavion Smith. These guys are different in the way they go about it, but professional score. They're both professional scorers. Uh, you know, their defining skill is that they are great shot creators. Bryce Sensabaugh is six foot six, and he's closer to 240 pounds, which – Again, ESPN lists him at 235. I buy that. I buy that he's 235. I don't um, <laughs> I don't have any doubts about that. You know, it, it, he's, he's not some, like, explosive athlete. I, I would say that he's probably going to be a below-average NBA athlete. I think he's a better athlete than, like, Kyle Anderson or whatever. Um, you know, he'll dunk the ball and stuff. I, mean, I guess Kyle Anderson would too. But, you know, he's, he's, he's fine as an athlete, I think. I don't think he's, you know, some Joe Schmo out there. I don't know if that means anything at all, but I'm going to stick with it because I'm recording in browser uh, like the pros do. Um, but, but Bryce, Bryce Sensabaugh, I think is, again, he's just a professional score. Um, he is shooting 47% from three shoots, 80% from the line. Uh, I mean, shoots 51% overall. You know, it's, that's pretty good. If you're making over half your shots, especially as someone that takes four and a half threes a game, that's pretty huge. Um, doesn't do a lot of passing. He has one assist per game um, and 1.8 turnovers per game. So, you know, his, his assist turnover is underwater. But that, honestly, they, that shouldn't be surprising to anyone that watches a lot of him. Again, he's a professional scorer. He's a shot maker. Um, he creates a lot of his own offense. He does not create a ton of offense for other people. But, um you know, I don't think that's what you're going to be. This is another one. This is another one of those guys that, you know, you're not paying him to play defense. Um, I've got his his scores ranked. I mean, I've got him ranked as a two on defense. I think he's I think he's bad on defense. 
Um, I think part of that is he just doesn't really probably doesn't really see himself as a defender and it's just not something that he places a lot of value on right now. And it, which it's, it's tough for me to come in here and be like, Oh yeah, these guys are like, they don't play defense. It's not blah, blah, blah. It's like, that isn't really what gets you drafted. If you're, if you're Bryce sensible, like being a mediocre offensive player and a mediocre defensive player is going to get you 15 minutes off the bench. Like I get why he's focusing so much on offense and, you know, I, again, I think I think he is another one of these guys that if he gets into a bit of a smaller role on offense, he's just going to calm down and play better defense. Honestly, I don't even have that much to share on Bryce. Bryce is one of these guys that, you know, someone like me that's trying to come in here and figure out the game. Um, I have more trouble with Bryce because he is less somebody that you just box in and, you know, say, oh, he's this guy or, you know, stereotype him. You know, I, I love doing these like trying to box guys into can you dribble pass shoot and defend and what's your defining skill but that's just not really that's that's it's an abstraction of the game of basketball it's not basketball itself Bryce Sensabaugh is somebody that's not going to be easily abstracted um and I think it's just going to take more time for me to watch him and more honestly listening to people that are more um able to pick up on the nuances of basketball but you know you, you look at his tool I, I mean he's he's 19 years old. He's a freshman. Great scorer. I mean, he checks a lot of boxes. Um, I would say the one thing with him is that, again, he's not going to be a dribble, pass, shoot, defend guy. He's not even going to be a dribble, pass, shoot guy. He's going to be a specifically a dribble, shoot guy. Um, I think that's okay. I think there are guys that make a living in the league as a shot creator slash shot maker. Um, I think there's a bunch of them, you know, a lot of them do pass more than he does or do defend more than he does, but there's a lane for professional shot creators, uh, especially if you're six, six, especially if you've got some weight on you, especially if you score in such a variety of ways, like he does, um, you know, Mike Gribanov is probably a top three follow of mine on Twitter. He's phenomenal. Um, but he, I think it was just this morning that he tweeted out Bryce. It might be like a top five prospect this year. And, I think if a guy like him is saying that, that's something that you should, you know, I'm certainly listening to that and I'm considering, wow, okay, so is he really, um, is he really going to be one of the top scorers on an NBA team, not just his college team? So he's somebody that, again, I'm just going to need to watch some more. Uh, I've got his confidence meter at a, at a four, but that's more, again, just because I'm not as confident in myself to evaluate his sort of, He's just too much of a real hooper, and I need to figure out how to evaluate a guy like that a little bit more. Um, I can't just use these like cheap tools I'm trying to uh, apply to a lot of these guys right now. Um, I just I think he's probably going to be a really good basketball player. He's going to be a really good scorer wherever he goes. Uh, it's just you know how, how much does the lack of passing and defense hurt him, or is he going to be good enough that he can be a star in his role? Because that's there's a lot of guys that are superstars in their roles, um, and that actually makes them star players. Because if your role is shot creation and you're a superstar shot creator, there's a chance that you're going to be you know a top fifty guy in the NBA. So, yeah, um, he's a tough one. I think he's got a chance of being really good, though. I just need to do some more research on him before I make anything uh, any super declarative, any super declarative statements but i you know i've got him 16 right now i think he could definitely move up 
Uh, maybe move down a little bit, but I, I'm pretty confident with him being 16, if not higher at this point, just because I've heard too many people that I trust talk about him in that way. So at 17, I'll hop right back into another just super confounding player. Uh, Gigi Jackson out of South Carolina. Um, you know, I was kind of aware of him a year, year and a half ago, um, before he reclassified just because he's from South Carolina. Um, he's currently 18 years old. Again, he reclassified. Um, he His birthday, his 19th birthday, isn't until December of this year. Um, he is, I want to say, six foot eight, maybe six foot nine, um, around 215 pounds. He is an interesting player to be sure. Um, he likes to shoot. He likes to dribble. He likes to dribble and then shoot. Um, he does not like to pass the ball. He does not like to run very much in transition, which has been a red flag for me. Um, he is super up and down on both ends of the court where sometimes he just makes plays on both ends that you're like, that's not basketball and sometimes he make he makes plays that you're like that's not basketball that's something better um <laughs> it, there's just such a he's such a perplexing prospect because um you have to try to separate out okay what is what is a lack of skill or a lack of real understanding of the game of basketball and what is a 18 year old on one of the worst teams in the power five they literally they look like they're playing tanking basketball. It's embarrassing sometimes. It, it looks like their roster was put together to lose. It's um, I, I'm being a little bit too extreme. I actually like some of their players and I really like their coach. Um, it's just been tough this year, and I I do think that Gigi has. You know, it's it's tough to be like oh, this 18-year-old kid's playing for a sucky team and he has a bad attitude about it, but I don't think he has a great attitude about it. Just not in terms of pouting or whatever, but in terms of maximizing this opportunity to develop his skills. Um, I think it was it was probably the Ringer Draft Podcast, the new one with Kevin O'Connor and uh, J. Kyle Mann, uh, when they talked about Imani Bates and... Wimanyama and how we praise Wimanyama for moving to a worse team where he has a bigger role and derided Imani Bates for it. And I, I think the conclusion they kind of had, which I agree with, is it, it, it is difficult to make that judgment, but we are just human beings trying to make a subjective judgment. And it definitely seems like Imani Bates went to a situation where, well, wow. I don't know. How do I want to say that? I, I guess Imani Bates has moved to a situation where there's less accountability and that seems to suit him. It seemed like he didn't fit in a good environment. He does fit in a bad environment where women Yama still fit in a good environment. He just also fits in a bad environment. Maybe that's what I would describe it as. I don't think he did this out of necessity. Whereas if Imani Bates was still at Memphis, I mean, it, I don't think it would be going very well right now. I think that was more of a move out of necessity. Um, and again, I think Imani relishes in him winning during games. 
And I think Wimanyama certainly likes making cool plays and whatnot, but he seems to have more of a sense of like, this is me developing my skills. Whereas Imani is like, this is me winning because I'm good at basketball and I'm beating this guy. Gigi Jackson seems to lean. A, well, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to say anything declarative about that right now. I'm not sure which way it leans, um, but I would be very interested to see or to try to figure out, is he more like, okay, this is my developmental season where I'm working on my dribbling and my pull-up shots and that's why I'm doing this sort of stuff. Or is he just saying, I'm the best player on this team. This is what I do. I take shots. I dribble. I win us the game. And if we don't win, or if I don't do well, we don't win. And maybe that's, I think that's something that players, some players probably like, right? Just to have a team that lives and breathes and dies on their shoulders. Um, I don't, I don't know that Gigi needs that, but I'm a little nervous that he might. Um, it's just that he's just a perplexing player. He's 18 years old. He's playing for a trash team. He's playing, you know, 30 minutes from where he grew up to. I feel like that's kind of weird um, or not weird for him. I think that makes the situation a little bit different than again, if you were Cade Cunningham and you go off to Montverde when you're 16 and then you go to Oklahoma state and then you go play professionally with the Pistons, right? You're kind of forced to adjust to new situations where Gigi has not had to do that so far. Um, I've got his scores. I've got his shooting at a six. I, he's either a really good shooter or not a good shooter. And I am still not sure which like he takes awful shots. I get it. But also like, he misses a lot of shots too. Like he doesn't only miss shots because he takes hard shots. Like he misses some shots that he probably should make. And he also like, if you're going to take that many bad shots, you should be making some of them. He misses just uh, so many shots that you would think he'd at least have a chance at, I guess. Um, But I mean, that's what he is. He seems to be a shot creator, which I guess I wasn't really aware of that coming into this year, but yeah, it's, he seems to be a guy that is a, is a shot creator kind of yeah, he's got the same sort of breakdown as Bryce Sensabaugh, right? I mean, Bryce Sensabaugh is a way better shooter. I think Gigi Jackson for his size is a better dribbler. Um, I've got his dribbling at an eight. I mean, that's by far his, that's clearly his best attribute is he's got great handle with the ball. Um, he can definitely have it on a string at times. Um, but his passing is just not really, he doesn't really do it. He's, never sets guys up. Um, and is so I've got his passing at a two and his defense at a three. I think he makes more plays on defense um, than I sometimes give him credit for. And again, he is six, eight, he moves well. Um, but I just, I don't think he very much tries on that end. I don't I just don't really see him as a great defender. I, I don't know. Um, I'm also a little bit nervous about him as an athlete. I feel like I expected a high level an athlete that you could project to be an above average NBA athlete at the wing or forward position. I don't know if I always see that. He doesn't really do a lot in transition. And this is something I need to actually look up in synergy. And I'm going to look up his transition numbers later today. Um, But he he just seems to be less active in transition than I would like to see, Uh, you know, offensive and getting back on defense. I never see him just, look like a gazelle running out there. I, I just expected to see him looking like so much faster and more athletic than every other guy out there. Like Cam Whitmore looks at Villanova, right? I mean, you watch him run sometimes in transition. It's like, oh, that's 
yeah, that's the NBA guy. You're like Jarris Walker rotating on defense. You're like, that's the NBA guy, right? You, you get it. I feel like for a guy like Gigi Jackson, who I get that he takes a lot of shots, but he's not like – He's not like a guard in terms of his skills. Like he's a forward. He's a six eight like forward. I just feel like he should be more of an athlete than he is. Um, I don't know. I'm a little concerned about his athleticism. Uh, I'm very concerned about his passing. He's just he's yeah he he's almost Imani Bates ish in my mind. Which if if anybody actually listened to this podcast, I'd probably get sacrifice for that and would probably deserve it but I don't know, i'm gonna stick with it because nobody's here to criticize me um i will admit though confidence meter i've got his confidence meter is the lowest out of any of those guys I've got him at a one I, just, I don't i don't know what to do with him i mean rafael barlow's put him as this number five guy i mean there's a lot of guys i i trust that have him early lottery and i'm like i just i i don't i don't believe in that um, but that's enough on him. I'm going to move to a much less complicated prospect who I have much less to say about. Uh, Taylor Hendricks is my number 18 guy out of UCF. He's a, just a much more solid, dependable. You know, he's probably, you know, maybe an inch taller than Gigi. Uh, he's actually listed at 205 weight wise, which I can actually see that. He's, he, he's not a very, uh, he's not a hefty guy by any means. He's pretty skinny, actually, for a guy that plays center in college. Um, as a, you know, six, five, 200, sorry, six foot nine, 200 pound ish guy. Um, he definitely is not going to be a center in the NBA. He's, he's a forward that maybe can play some small ball. Um, he, I guess what I would say is he has the instincts and the knowledge of how to play center. I don't know if he's going to quite hold up physically just because he is pretty skinny. I was actually pretty surprised because, I watched him pretty late in the process um, compared to most of these guys. And I, I heard about him and I was like, oh, he's probably going to be kind of a beefy guy, but no, he's not at all. Um, I've got his defining skills listed as three and D. Uh, he's not, you know, it's it's funny because I, I think his role at UCF is not directly projectable to his pro role because he is going to probably be having to play the four. Um, I think that would be a big thing for him if he can learn to play the or if he can hold up at the five consistently on defense, just because he's comfortable being in the right spots there. And it seems like that's what he's grown up doing. But, you know, I think he's going to be a good shooter at the four, especially at the five. Um, I don't know that he's much of a dribbler and or passer and or finisher at the rim. Um, That's something that, again, this is one of the guys that I've watched the least of out of my top 30. Um, What I've seen, I've been pretty pretty positive on and i also a lot of the um again i i listen and try to read a good amount of stuff what i've heard on him sounds good uh he seems to fit the type of things that i like um one guy that he brought to mind for me again i try to look for more (laughs) accessible comparisons um this is certainly a guy that taylor hendrix is much skinnier than this guy uh, he's also a freshman, whereas this guy came out, I think he's a junior, maybe he's a senior. Uh, but Xavier Tillman, who currently plays for the Grizzlies, he was a second-round pick, but was a guy that I think some NBA Twitter folks, NBA draft Twitter folks thought was a first-rounder, maybe even like a top you know, 20 guy. Uh, Xavier Tillman is a solidly mobile big. I, I think Taylor Hendricks is probably going to be a little more mobile just because he's skinnier. 
Uh, it's carrying less weight around. Uh, I think Hendricks is a little bit better of a shooter, but Tillman can shoot uh, and play on the inside. And I think Taylor Hendricks is kind of similar. They're both, you know, six, eight, six, nine, as opposed to being seven foot guys. Um, I definitely think there's a chance I could move Taylor Hendricks down uh, if I get a little more confident in some guys, because I'm pretty sure Taylor Hendricks is going to be a bench guy long-term. Um, sixth or seventh man. I don't think he, I think, I think he's going to be a core rotation piece that does not, that it does not bode well for your team. If he's like really one of your starters um, long-term, but you know, I don't know that for sure. Um, he's obviously had a great breakout season. He was a 67th recruit. Um, so almost he's two spots behind Bryce Sensabaugh. Uh, both of those are guys that have really leaped up. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I like, I like Taylor Hendricks. I don't have a ton more to add about him. Um, he's certainly someone they could move down, but I, I, I'm pretty confident in him becoming a rotation player, which if you can get a rotation player outside of the lottery, that's a win. So number 19 on my list is a guy I would probably classify as the, uh, the darling of draft Twitter this year. Uh, Max Lewis out of Pepperdine. Um, Pepperdine is not necessarily a school that's known for pumping out NBA talent, but Max Lewis certainly is one of those. Um, he is a six, seven wing. Um, he's 20 years old. He'll turn 21 in July. Uh, this is actually his third year in college. Um, but he's, you know, he's a guy that came in as like a, what was he like the 130th recruit, 150th recruit, 135th uh, overall recruit. Um, so he was a guy that was not necessarily off the radar, but, you know, ended up at Pepperdine, not necessarily someone was thought to be a professional player. Um, but he's just clearly made himself into a very good shooter. Um, and he's a guy that has very good touch. I, I think he's got phenomenal touch. Um one thing I will say, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on Max or Derek Whitehead, uh, number one, because I'm running a little long, and number two, just because I'm less familiar uh, with them than I think a lot of people out there are. Um, I do have some concerns about Max's passing and his defense. Uh, I've got his shooting rated as an eight. Uh, his dribbling at a five, which I would like to watch a little bit more of that because I think he's pretty good at creating his own shot off the dribble. Um, but I would like to make sure that it's something that's translatable just because it, lo- it looks good right now. Um, but I want to make sure that I guess that he's not leaving himself open to um, t- stuff that defenders might be able to do in the NBA that guys in the WCC aren't able to do. I, I think that's kind of a fair thing to try to evaluate against. Um, but I- I'm very nervous about him as a passer. Um Again, I keep harping on it, but this this thing I've been trying to do is look at the defending uh, as well as the, the shooting, passing, and dribbling as all of these guys, right? I think those are like four fundamental skills of a basketball player. Um, he he has 2.8 he averages 2.8 assists per game this year. So I mean it's not like he doesn't ever get assists. Um, I just don't see him as a very natural passer. I don't think it's going to be something that comes naturally him in the NBA either. Like I just I, I don't think he's a guy that um, makes a lot of instinctive passes. I think he is more of a scripted player. Although, again, this is one where I need to go back and watch him because I feel like I have a lower opinion of him than a lot of people that I respect, uh, and that makes me want to do a little more investigation. So, I mean, it's 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 impossible to deny his shooting. You know, he's an 83% career free throw shooter, 
you know, shooting 84 points, 84.5% this year, you know, he's 37% three point shooter, 4.4 attempts this year, uh, shoots 50% overall. Like he's got good touch. He's a good shooter. He, he is a great shot creator. Um, despite again, I don't know that he's the best improviser, but if you give him a lane to dribble down, he will dribble down that lane and he will shoot or finish. Like he is good at that. Uh, he averages three turnovers a game. So again, he's, 2.8 assists to three turnovers. He's much more of a shot creator. Um, I actually labeled him initially as an off-ball scorer because I think that's more what he's going to be. Or, or, or I, specifically, I, lift, I listed the defining skill as off-guard scoring. Um, I think that's going to be more of his thing in the NBA, but he is certainly more of an on-ball scorer in college. And I want to make sure that I give him credit for that because uh, that was one of the things with the Keegan slash Chris Murray debate. Um, the biggest difference between their games is actually that Keegan Murray created a lot more when he was at Iowa. And I just think that's a sign, not necessarily that Keegan Murray is going to be creating 30% of his shots in the league, but just that he has the ability, he has the dribble and the whatever the athleticism is, whether it's you know strength combined with quickness, quickness combined with the <laughs> wiggle or agility, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I just, I think... So between those two guys, Chris is going to get drafted a lot lower because he's got less of those skills, even if he's going to use those less often. Um, It's just that any of those skills you possess in the NBA, you know, anything that can give you a slight margin, like you need it and you're going to take it. Um, I think that Max Lewis has a little bit more of that, you know, where he's going to be able to be more than just an off guard in terms of a shooter. I think he'll be an off guard guy that can, like I mentioned with Ryan repair, I think he can drive it off the dribble and finish to some extent. So he's a guy that I'm going to need to continue to evaluate going forward. You know, definitely one of the lower in terms of uh, minutes watched Uh, a couple of mine, a couple of guys that he brings to mind. The one that I think is more of just uh, an interesting comparison as opposed to truly lining up the skills as Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara, um, the number 12 pick in last year's draft, uh, not the one out of Arkansas, the one that plays guard. Um, Jalen Williams is more of like a, a guard, like a almost more of a point guard. Like he is a dribbler, more of a facilitator. Actually, I'm going to try to stall for a second while I look up his stats from last year because I bet he has um, – I bet he was more of a passer. I bet he has some more assists because – I trust his dribble a little bit more as well. Um, I mean, he's just, I think, already proven to be a little bit better in that regard. I'm not doing well searching for this right now. Oh, boy. All right. Well, sorry about that. Uh, I did find it, though. Jalen Williams did average uh, 4.2 assists his senior year, so he definitely averaged more. Um, and that kind of tracks, although I will admit that he only averaged 1.9 and 2.3 his first two years. Um, so that was something that advanced in his third year, which Max, I said, he's in his third year of college. He only has played two years. He must've redshirted or something his first year. Um, so I, I do, you know, I, I think Max is definitely more of an off ball player. Jalen's more of an on ball player. Um, which Jalen's not even going to be like a primary point guard or, you know, one of those every down backs. Um, so I think that shows you that Max is really going to be off the ball. Um, but I think that's okay. I think he's a good enough of a complimentary scorer that he, he can make that work. Uh, the other guy that I thought he brought to mind specifically as a prospect was Moses Moody 
again, you know, just one of these six foot six, six foot seven guards that um, has some good self-creation skills in college. But the biggest thing for them is just going to be, can they shoot threes? And then can they create a little bit off of that shooting ability? So uh, Max Lewis is definitely a guy like, you know, he could, he could has, he has some mobility upwards or potentially a little bit downwards if some guys catch my eye. Uh, but I've got his confidence meter at a four right now. You know, he's just a, he's just a, he's another one that I think will be a solid rotation player. I don't know that he'll ever be a like above average starter. I don't think he'll be out of the league in five years. I think he'll be a solid rotation player for the next eight to ten years, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, that's Max Lewis, the last guy to cap out my top twenty. Probably the biggest mystery out of this group of ten. Uh, Nick Smith was the group. It was the big mystery out of the top ten. Tariq Whitehead's going to be the biggest mystery out of this group. Uh, hasn't played a ton this year. He's played more than Nick Smith certainly, but uh, I would say the minutes that he's put on tape have been quite underwhelming. Um, the biggest thing is that he's just looked like less of an athlete than I think uh, people expected coming out of high school. I also will say I thought he was taller. I feel like he's listed on ESPN as like 6'6 or 6'7 or something, which, no, he's like 6'5, maybe 6'4. Um, he's a guard. He's not really, you know, like a big wing or anything. Um, he is a very young player. He's still only 18 and won't turn 19 until August. So I think I was wrong when I said um, that Ryan Rupert was the second youngest. It looks like Derek Whitehead is actually younger even than him. Um, Derek is a good shooter. Seems like an okay dribbler, an okay passer. Can't say I've gotten a good read on his defense at all. Um, I'm pretty nervous about Derek. I went back and watched a little bit of one of his high school games against, I believe it was Oak Hill. Um, and even in high school, he wasn't like this big on ball superstar, which I feel like you might think of, you know, he's the number two recruit coming out of Montverde and he's a guard. You, you're like, Oh, it's the next Cade Cunningham, right? It's the next, whatever. Any of these guys, RJ Barrett, like this line of ball dominant guys. And, <laughs> I mean, that's what's funny is Derek Whitehead's the smallest, smaller compared to any of those guys. Certainly, you know, Ben Simmons back in the day. Um, and I don't know that Derek is a great shooter. I don't know that he's like a great passer or dribbler. I'm a little nervous that Derek might have just been an example of, because you hear about it, you know, especially specifically on that high school broadcast, that he was playing with the varsity Montverde team since he was in eighth grade. There's virtually nobody in the entire world that has that much exposure to the guys or the people that run high school recruiting sites as Derek Whitehead, who started at Montverde, sorry, was on varsity at Montverde for five years. That's how you get exposure. Okay. So I think there's a non-zero chance that he was a top five recruit mostly because of exposure and consistency at a decent level. I need to go back and really watch him if I want to make some declarative statement like that. But it does seem a little concerning that, again, he was he had that much exposure. He was probably ranked super high when he was 15 years old and 16 years old. And then when you're making the recruiting rankings for the next year, you're like, well, Derek Whitehead was five. We can't move him down to 50. Plus, it's just easier if you're like, oh, yeah, we've seen this guy. We think he's good. 
I'm a little nervous that he's somebody that just kind of was high up on the rankings and just kind of stayed up there and nobody ever really thought to reevaluate because he did good enough. And now he's in college and he's been injured and he's had these problems and everyone's like, oh, well, it's probably just injury stuff. But what if this is really us realizing like, oh, well, he's also just not really an on-ball guy. He's not really like a shot creator. He's not really like a defensive wing. Like what exactly is he? What's his defining skill? I have his defining skill listed as off-guard scoring, like I did with Max Lewis, but even Max Lewis, like, he's an on-ball scorer way more in college than I was giving him credit for. I have Ryan Rupert listed, yeah, Ryan Rupert listed as off-guard skills. Notice I said skills and not just scoring, because his dribbling skills and passing skills are way better than three whiteheads. I mean, I maybe I just need to watch more of him on-ball, but I, I'm not totally sure what Dariq Whitehead does because I don't think he's going to be a dribble and pass and shoot guy that defends well. I don't think he's going to click all four boxes. And what I've been saying is that if you don't click all four boxes, you probably need to find a specialized role. I don't know what a specialized role is. It's not shooting. I don't think maybe it's shooting. Maybe he's like in a worse AJ Griffin. I, I don't know. Uh, this is almost kind of a placeholder for Dariq just because he was so well-respected coming into this year. And even, you know, draft people, you know, generally had him and generally still have him as a first-round pick. I, I think it's um, – it seems to be too early to count him out of, as a first-round pick. And, and I do I do think that would be irresponsible for me to do, having not watched him as much as, you know, some other people out there and especially not being as familiar with his high school tape but I'm starting to get worried that maybe his high school tape is a little less impressive than it has been given credit for. And maybe this is more of a true indicator that he is just somebody, a man without a country, as opposed to this just being injury issues. I do want to give him time though, because if he, if he ends up being like a super high level athlete, then I'm going to have to totally reevaluate. And again, he's 18 years old. Um, But I can't say I've been super impressed so far. Uh, and he's a guy that makes me really nervous. So on that wonderful, beautiful note, I think that's going to be the end of the podcast. Um, quickly, I'll run through the guys I talked about today. So again, this was my number 11 through 20 players. Uh, on my big, por- big board 1.0, number 11, we had Jet Howard out of Michigan. Number 12, we had Grady Dick out of Kansas. Number 13, we had Anthony Black out of Arkansas. Number 14, we had Ryan Rupert playing with the New Zealand Breakers. Number 15 was Terquavion Smith, point guard, playing for NC State. 16 was Bryce Sensabaugh out of Ohio State. 17 was Gigi Jackson out of the supreme tanking South Carolina Gamecocks. Uh, Go Tigers. Uh, Number 18 was Taylor Hendricks out of UCF. Number 19 was Max Lewis out of Pepperdine. And closing out the top 20 with a bang, Dariq Whitehead out of Duke. Let me know what you think. There's certainly going to be some moving parts relatively soon. I'm trying to catch up on lots of guys. Uh, And there's some guys in this next range, the 21 to 30 range, that I could definitely see ending up in my top 20. Um, A certain guard out of Santa Clara that's become quite a hit uh, amongst the NBA draft community is someone that I could definitely see moving up. So, You'll have to listen to the next episode to find out more.
If you want to hear about your favorite shooting guards out of UConn or other Big East guards, um, you'll have to tune in next time. But as always, thanks for listening. Uh, I don't know why you did, but hey, thanks for doing it. Um, yeah, I you know I've really enjoyed making this. So thanks for tuning in and wasting your time with me. So I'll talk to you next time. Bye.